sometimes controversial, always politically incorrect, and pro-life without exception, without compromise, and without apology. It's the Pro-Life America podcast with your hosts, Sarah Waits and the president of Life Dynamics, Mark Crutcher. Hey guys, welcome to the show. I'm Mark Crutcher, as you heard. And, and I'm the one and only Sarah Waits. Lurking nearby. Not lurking, uh, just lurking. sitting across yeah. a table in um, a normal fashion. Well, as close to normal as I get. As close as normal <laughs> as you can be. Um, before we get started, I want to mention that we lost one of the giants of the pro-life movement here a couple of days ago. Yeah. My friend Joe Scheidler passed away, 93 years old. I talked to him a couple of weeks ago, and um, he had had some health scares lately, and it was clear to me that he knew that time was running out. And But he wasn't sad about it, or he wasn't unhappy. He, he lived a long, fulfilling life. He accomplished a lot in his life. Mm-hmm. We're all indebted to him in the pro-life movement, and I... I just hope that the younger people who are coming along realize the contributions that people like he made to the pro-life effort. And his historic court case with Now versus Scheidler for years. Yeah, over 10 years, that thing dragged on. It was a scam to begin with. They used RICO to go after Joe Scheidler. RICO was originally intended to go after the mafia. And people at that time, even the left, I remember uh, Ted Kennedy raised objections to RICO in the beginning Mm -hmm. because he said, oh, this could be used to go after peaceful protesters like union leaders and so forth. Mm -hmm. So they wrote language into the law that said you had to have a financial motive in order for RICO to apply. But when it came to Scheidler, suddenly Ted Kennedy jumped on the other side and said, no, you don't have to have a financial motive. You can use RICO to go after pro-lifers without them having a financial motive or without them being violent. So, See, uh, whatever legislation you pass or tools that you use right. against one side can be used against you. That and, is the political precedent. Yeah, especially if you've got no morals in your Ted Kennedy. Or no qualms. No qualms about it. Anyway, we're going to miss him. I'm going to miss him for sure on a personal basis. Um, he seemed really neat. Unfortunately, I'm, I didn't get a chance to really meet him or talk to him yeah. much, but he seemed He seemed hadn't like been to our guy. office here in years. That was before you came, but he was a neat guy, and I know that the babies that he saved welcomed him into heaven. I have no doubt about that. So, Anyway, you had an issue you wanted to bring up. Well, this is something that's kind of important to me, and that's feminism and abortion. You know, I'm not a feminist because I can't go along with the direction that the feminist movement has gone. And I think there's a number of women out there, including you ladies who are listening to this podcast. And if you look at the polls out there, it shows time and time again that most women just can't get behind where the feminist movement has gone. That is because the abortion rights movement, amongst other movements, but the abortion rights movement hijacked the feminist movement. Right. Yeah, let's make sure people understand something. There's basically two generations of Mm -hmm. feminism. Yeah. You have the classic traditional feminism. um, The suffragettes. Suffragettes. Like Alice Paul, Susan B. Anthony. Uh, Yeah, that whole generation of women. Who were pro-life, by the way. Who were very pro-life. They recognized early on that abortion was something that would be used to profit sexually irresponsible and sexually predatory males. And tell us how that's wrong. What do we see yeah, that's, today? That's that's who it profits today. I remember the Bro Choice <laughs> article that came out, I don't remember the year, maybe around 2015. It was a guide for men on how to convince their girlfriends to get an abortion. And it was talking about like the dine and dump. So after her abortion, right. you take her like to Denny's right. and comfort her and then you dump her. Right. You know, the feminist movement of today always tries to ignore 
how pro-life the original feminist movement was. In fact, there was an SNL skit that came out, I want to say maybe a year ago, where they were, the cast was, you know, doing this skit about touring Susan B. Anthony's house and the ghost of Susan B. Anthony was there. And at the very last minute, she was like, oh, by the way, abortion is murder. Right. And they all go, what? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, so you have that classic feminist, like Susan B. Anthony in that generation. But then in the 1960s, you had the emergence of what I call Mm neo-feminism. And they were co-opted, basically. Kidnapped was always the word I used (laughs) by groups with a socialist political agenda. It had nothing to do with women's rights. Mm -hmm. It had to do with advancing socialist political policies. When these neo-feminists took over, and they pushed out basically all the rest of them, to the point that today... They won't even consider you a feminist if you're pro-life. You yeah. can't be a pro-life feminist. If you're a woman and you're pro-life, then according to the feminist movement of today, you're a woman hater. You hate your own gender. You hate your own gender. Right. You support right. the male domination, women under the boots of men. But I want to go back for a second and talk about the ways that the feminist movement was hijacked by the abortion rights movement, because I think that's really important. Because the impression is that the new feminist movement that came in in the 60s and 70s was just automatically pro-choice, and that's not the case. So one of the movers and shakers in that wave of feminism was a woman named Betty Friedan. She was a founder of NOW, and of course she wrote the book The Feminine Mystique, which has been kind of a template or an inspiration for modern feminists. Important to note that that book never mentioned abortion or contraception, And she never really seemed to advocate for that. But according to Dr. Bernard Nathanson, who was also involved with NOW, who was a doctor who performed abortions for a while, he became Mm pro-life. A man behind the scenes who was a journalist and a friend of Margaret Sanger. In fact, he said he was one of her um, disciples, quote-unquote disciples. Started beginning to convince Friedan that abortion was something that women needed to be free. And he worked on her. And he convinced her to include abortion in the Bill of Rights that now was going to be submitting to Congress. Now, an important thing about Larry Later is that his book, Abortion, was cited several times in the Roe v. Wade Supreme Court case. So this is not just any random guy. Yeah, I know who Larry Later was. So when Friedan introduced the abortion resolution to the now members for the Bill of Rights, it caused a stink to say the least. The debate over abortion went on for hours. Only 57 people voted in favor of that Bill of Rights, 57 women. After the vote, one-third of the feminists at that meeting were so angry they walked out and resigned from now. A third of the women there. Mm -hmm. One of the co-founders of now, a woman named Marguerite Rewalt, was reported to be furious. Another woman, attorney Betty Boyard, She resigned, and she founded her own group called Women's Equity Action League. And her group played a huge role in helping women, including fought for married women's right to get credit in their own name and fought for the passage of the Pregnancy Discrimination Act, which made it illegal to fire women just because they were pregnant. But when Washington Post covered the now vote, Friedan and the women who voted for this abortion stuff made it seem like, all of our members agreed on this, and yeah, we're speaking universal. universal. Right. Women right. decided we want abortion. And so the Washington Post headline said, now supports the furthering of the sexual revolution of our century by pressing for widespread sex education and provision of birth control and contraceptives and by urging that all laws penalizing abortion be repealed. 
And so thus it began. Right. And we're seeing that right now in our country today. Mm-hmm. You watch what's going to happen in the next four years. Yeah. They're going to come out here and tell you things that they say, this is what people believe. This is what people want. This is the truth. Yeah. When they got nothing to base it on. Mm-hmm. And sometimes what they have is just the opposite. But if you go out and you say this enough times. People will believe people it. People will start believing it. That's what happened here. And we should have recognized, when I say we, I mean the conservative movement, the pro-life movement that started actually before Roe versus Wade, but mm-hmm. if you go back into the 60s, we should have recognized two things. One thing is what the civil rights people recognized in which we talk about in MAFA 21, which was abortion was legalized as an instrument of black genocide. And eugenics. And eugenics. Mm-hmm. The second thing we should have recognized is that the abortion lobby has co-opted the women's movement for their own political purposes, and that's what it is today. But this movement also did a couple of other things that are very counterproductive. For one thing, they gave up on basing their arguments on equality and changed it over to basing it on interchangeability. That was what the ERA right. in the, was it the late 60s? Well, it started out in the 60s. And, and then went into the 70s that right. Phyllis Schlafly was opposed to. Right. And it basically made men and women interchangeable in the eyes of the law. Right. For Shafley, one of her biggest things that she was fighting against was women would be eligible for the draft, for one thing. Well, why shouldn't they be if you're going to make them interchangeable? Yeah. But, but this interchangeability thing was doomed from mm-hmm. the start. And that I think that is why. I don't know that most women think about it when they say, oh, I'm not a feminist. Don't lunk me in with that crowd. It's because subconsciously they realize we're not interchangeable. That we're different. You and I are equal in every sense of the word, but we are not interchangeable. There is no way that we're interchangeable. And if you go down the trail of trying to say that is our strategy, that's what we're basing our political future on, you're doomed from the start. And it's not just biology, which plays a huge role in it, but it's the things that we experience and how we live our lives that's different than men. And just to say that there's no difference. Right. I mean, it's Well, and you're seeing, too, it's in, irrational. in sports right now, yeah. how this is destroying women's sports. And I don't see how... We look up here 10 years from now, and there's even such a thing as separate women's sports because they're saying it's equal. If men want to compete in women's sports, you have to let them. Mm -hmm. You can't discriminate against them in gender. And so now you see all these high school, particularly high school and college-age girls nowadays, who have worked their rear ends off to compete with other girls now are saying, we can't compete. Because they're competing against trans athletes who are boys who are physically and biologically different and have biological advantages, whether yeah. or not they intend that to happen that's is irregardless, but that's the fact. Um, if you think about it for a minute, now, mm-hmm. you weren't around then. because What are you uh, talking about specifically? Go back into the 50s and 60s. No, and, I was not around then. No, you were, you were <laughs> not even thought about. There were male patterns of behavior mm-hmm. and female patterns of behavior. And this neo-feminist group that moved in, started changing all of this. And they're saying, we want everything to be egalitarian and the same. And if you'll think about it for a minute, and like I said, you don't have a real world experience with this, but I do. If you went back into, say, 1965 and said, okay, what are the male patterns of behavior? And what are the female patterns of behavior? What we now have is all of those male patterns of behavior have been adopted by females. None of the female patterns of behavior from that time were adopted by males. So all the changing that's been done has been done by women, not by men. See, I don't, I'm not sure if I agree with that or not. So give me an example of what you mean. Okay. Something like, uh, 
language that you might use. Boys okay. would use rougher language in 1965 than you expected from girls. Girls well, didn't use that sort of language. In front of other people, in, maybe in among, the, among the, themselves, probably. <laughs> I knew 16-year-old boys at that time, and believe me, no 16-year-old girl talked like this. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't have been caught dead with her if she did. And that's not the only example of it. Sexual promiscuity. Yeah, the standards of that have changed dramatically. And they've all changed toward the male pattern, mm-hmm. not toward the female pattern. It's not about insisting that men or boys adhere to a standard of abstinence or waiting for the one. It's all about, well, that's unrealistic for boys. Girls must change in order to meet that. And And that's the key to our freedom, right? Our happiness is all about um, that pattern of sexuality. I used to do abstinence training in high schools, Mm -hmm. in junior highs. And I remember one of the first ones that I went to, it was a high school in Dallas. I remember coming home and telling my wife, I was blown away by what I heard and by what I saw. Now, I hadn't been in a high school classroom at that time in 20 years or so. Mm-hmm. What I was amazed at is how much the girls had changed, but how the boys had not changed. No, boys were just like they always were. Mm-hmm. But I heard girls using language in the classroom with the teacher sitting right there Yeah, that boys used to use out around the field house, mm-hmm. and girls didn't use that language at all. Mm-hmm. So the girls have been the ones who've done all the changing. Mm-hmm. And girls are now more sexually aggressive. They're as sexually aggressive now as boys. My sister-in-law had two boys, and she said she was amazed at how sexually aggressive these girls were. Well, I think we can't downplay the importance that teen magazines, Absolutely. specifically all Cosmopo- magazines. Cosmopolitan right. has played on this. And one thing that I wanted to get to, I don't know if you've heard about Sue Ellen Browder, but she was a former writer for Cosmo for about 20 years. And she was talking about how the magazine, which was reinvented by a woman named Helen Gurley Brown, and it was basically a magazine that pushed Brown's philosophy, which was hard work and sex without the kids will set you free. She wrote in her book, if you entrusted yourself to Helen's lifestyle teaching, as many young women did and still do, You'd come to believe the way of for a smart woman to be free and to succeed in her career and her life was to, one, work hard, two, take the pill or use some other contraceptive, and three, if the contraceptive failed, get an abortion. Right. And if you look at almost every single cover of Cosmo, it's about sex. Right. And that's what my generation grew up with. And if you go to the, a big magazine store and mm-hmm. you stand and you look at the magazines that are called women's magazines, yeah. you would be convinced that women sit around and think about nothing but sex. Just day in and day out. Yeah. We're just sitting there dreaming of sex all right. day. <laughs> and, I mean, I remember Helen Gurley Brown. She was one of the most reprehensible people you would ever stumble across. And to let these people become the arbiters of behavior for young women mm-hmm. produces what we have now. Well, and, and Browder was talking about how she released this guide and basically gave them rules for making up facts and figures of authority to make things and situations seem more prominent than it actually was. So it was a propaganda machine to push and certain ideas. And it's not ideas. the only one. No. Uh-uh. Cosmo wasn't the only one. There's tons of them out there. Yeah. And they were pushing this one pattern of behavior, and it's male. Mm-hmm. And you can see it in, in a lot of different ways, like we were just talking about. But you touched on the issue of sex education. I remember the day when the big... Uh, issue in sex education was the so-called double standard, that we would see a girl who was sexually active at 14 or 15 years old Mm -hmm. as a slut and a tramp, but a sexually active boy 
Oh, he was just a young man. Well, he's a stud. He's out. You know, he's all American. Sowing his oats. Sowing his wild oats, right? And they said, well, this standard is wrong. Mm-hmm. And I can remember Planned Parenthood people even saying, you know, this double standard is wrong. We've got to do something about this. I agree the standard is wrong, but I don't think that the yeah. direction they went in is the, the right standard direction. Is, the standard was no doubt wrong. Mm-hmm. But what they did was they said, we're going to go into the school systems now. And we're not going to demand higher standards from the boys. Mm-hmm. We're going to accept lower standards from the girls. Yeah. And so, again, it goes back to that male pattern of behavior. We're going to drive everything toward that male pattern of behavior, which is where we are today. Mm-hmm. They can do all the things that were at one time the reserve of boys. This is how boys behave. Which, if that's your attitude, then you believe in sex without consequences, which reinforces the abortion position. Because well, and it, it resubjugates women. Mm-hmm. And that's what this is all designed to do. Let's, yeah. let's understand something. This did not happen by accident. No. Think about this for a moment. Because now the whole idea of women's rights, the cornerstone of it is the ability to kill your own child. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Melissa Simmons Tulin talked about that one time. She said, women will never climb to equality with men mm-hmm. over the dead bodies of their children. That's not going to happen. It's constantly but, the message that they okay, drum on. Again, why was this done? Mm-hmm. I've had people, and I've made this argument before, people would say, well, why would they want to go in and lower the standards of girls? Why would they do that? Because Planned Parenthood was in the early stages mm-hmm. of becoming the nation's abortionist. Their money is in birth control pills. And abortion. STD treatments and abortion. Mm-hmm. That's their bread and butter right there. Yeah. And what happens if you go into these school systems and you raise the standards of boys? Abortion rates will go down. Abortion rates go down. You don't need Teen STD pregnancy treatments. Rates go down. And yep. You don't need birth control pills. What happens if you go in there and you lower the standards of girls? Yeah, all those things go up. So you're very naive if you think that these people didn't know exactly what they were doing when they went in and said, we're going to push this male pattern of behavior because the male pattern of the behavior can be financially capitalized on. A female pattern of behavior will lower our profits. And the thing that we need to acknowledge here is if you go back into the, let's say, the 40s and the 50s and the 60s. And you say, if somebody were to say to me, well, are you saying then there weren't any problems that we needed to overcome? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. Mm-hmm. There were problems. But our solution to them, the cure was worse than the disease. Yeah. And yeah, we had a lot of problems and women were discriminated against. I can remember mm-hmm. when, if a married woman wanted to buy real estate in Texas, Mm-hmm. She had to get permission from her husband from her husband Ugh. to buy real estate. So sick. There were thousands of these kinds of things. Women couldn't get credit cards in their own name. There yep. were separate jobs. Get credit. There were separate jobs for women and women. Some jobs would only hire men and right. only some for women. And there are a number of cases where women couldn't go to study certain things such as law and medicine. But the point that people need to understand is you can solve every one of those. Mm-hmm. Every single one of those problems you can solve. Without killing 60 million babies. Yeah, exactly. You can solve every one of those problems without killing 60 million. And we're at about 62 million right now and counting. Mm -hmm. And the ostensible reason for that is to liberate women. No, we released, freed... Men from their obligations. Sexually irresponsible and sexually predatory males. Yeah. And you can hear it in some of the videos that you can even see on YouTube where they go out and they ask these boys... If you're having sex with a girl and she gets pregnant, are you going to marry her? Are you going to take care of her? Are you going to take care of the baby? No. I'll pay for half the abortion. Yeah. I'll drive her to the abortion clinic. 
I'll but, take her to Denny's afterwards and then break up with her. But, yeah. Yeah. But it's her decision mm-hmm. what to do. Well, if it's her decision, then I don't have any responsibility. Mm-hmm. My responsibility ends when I'm willing to pay for half the abortion. And that's where we are. And this is what early feminists recognized what happened. And the thing I don't think they recognized is that if you make abortion legal and make it a safety net for irresponsible men to jump into, what happens when the woman that they impregnate won't jump into it? Well, we answered that with our under-the-radar violence violence report. The number of women that get beat up in this country and murdered and, yeah. and put in nursing homes because okay. they refuse to have abortions, beat up and killed and put in nursing homes by the guy that got them pregnant, and sometimes one of his staggering. buddies joins in. Right. And in that report, we list case after case. Some of the women in that report are as young as 14 years old. Right. There are teenagers in there. Right. Yep. And the feminist movement just glosses over this. I'm going to ask a question here that there's no way to answer at this point. But I think we all know what the answer is, especially those of us who lived through those days. Overall, would you say that women are happier and more content with their lives today than they were in, say, 1958. And I don't think they are. I think we have a whole bunch of women out there who are bitter, who made bad decisions, and who now regret it and can't go back and undo it. And I just don't think that overall, and again, there's no way to quantify this, but just from my seat-of-the-pants observations from having been alive in those times and looking back and and talking to other women in Mm -hmm. those times, I brought this up with my mother-in-law one day before she died. And she said, I guarantee you women aren't happier today than they were then. And she said, yeah, we had a lot of problems. And she had them personally. Mm -hmm. This woman was in the payroll department at General Dynamics in Fort Worth. And she basically ran the payroll department there. But she had to train men Mm -hmm. that became her supervisors. (laughs) So yeah, there were all these issues like that that we needed to solve. But again, we didn't have to kill babies by the millions in order to solve these problems. And it is an absolute bastardization of the word feminism to wrap it around abortion. You know, we can have working women. We can have equal pay. We can have all these things without adopting the sexual revolution nonsense. Without adopting what I said, male yeah. patterns of behavior. Yeah. This thing has gotten so screwed up. Yeah. And the question is, can it be fixed? Absolutely. It, it, it can be, but it can't be as long as these people are out here convincing a significant percentage of the female population that you're only valued to the extent that you can kill your own child. Yeah. Anyway, we could go on about this for weeks. but Ages. Uh, I think we've covered the high spots here. Mm-hmm. You got anything else? No, I'll put the links to the articles and the information that we reference in the description. And make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave a review or rating a review on the podcast site. We'll have a link to that in the description. Reviews are a great way for people who discover the podcast to encourage them to listen. And we get more of this information out there. And we might start covering some of those reviews. So Yeah, I want to reemphasize what Sarah just said. We really need your help. We also need your donations. Mm-hmm. We have suffered greatly, and I think we've covered some of the problems that, of course, everybody had problems during 2020. Yeah. But we had exponentially higher problems, and our mail was being stolen. We lost at least $200,000, maybe more, because mm-hmm. of that. 
We just went through some other things with the post office. That's just been a nightmare to deal with the post office. So if you like the podcast, if you like the things that Life Dynamics is doing, you know, be sure and support us. And also, if you uh, don't know our other work, make sure you go to our Life Dynamics website. We have the link right there in the description. You can go learn more about what we do and see our projects. And and we're fixing to introduce some new stuff that I think is going to be pretty interesting. We're Mm -hmm. working on some new things right now. Uh, We're burning the midnight oil around here trying to get these things ready to go. Anyway, that's it. That's all I've got. That's all I've got. All right. Till next Thursday, remember, Life Dynamics is not here to put up a good fight. We're here to win. Because winning is how the killing stops. We'll see you next week. Bye, guys.